Business with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi, and welcome to the 183rd episode of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana, and today's episode will give us some insights into leading robotics businesses from the Robo Business Conference in Boston, held in autumn 2014. The event focused on topics like sensor fusion, new levels of autonomy and cognition, collaborative robotics, standards development, and new funding strategies. Many of the big names in the robotics industry were there, and our interviewer Audro caught up with some of them. Hi, can you introduce yourself and your company? Yes, thank you. My name is Norm Domholt, and I'm president of NPC Robotics. And uh, today at the show, we are featuring uh, and debuting our latest invention uh, we've been working on for three years, and it's called Black Dog. Now, you have the Black Dog here. Can you tell me a little bit about what we have set up and describe it? Uh, Black Dog is a remote control mobile platform. Uh, it is designed modularly to be able to be uh, repaired in the field, to be able to be diagnosed by itself without uh, probing with uh, flukes or uh, any sort of other instruments. And with the use of one particular tool, which is a quarter-inch hex wrench, uh, all these parts can be taken apart and replaced in minutes. Can you tell me a bit more about how it is modular? Well, uh, we realized uh, through our experience with uh, BattleBots that uh, the teams that seemed to win were the teams that designed their, their robot to be repaired quickly and to not have to take apart wiring, follow wires, but something that could be plugged in and, and uh, replaced uh, quickly. So we decided that there are, oh, maybe eight uh, components in here that could be replaced uh, without with the use of this one tool and be all modular. There's no internal wires that you have to worry about. So everything uh, unplugs and plugs together uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tank-treaded robot that has two motors driving everything, and it's, um, what would you say, three feet long by a foot tall and two feet wide? Yeah, uh, 42 inches long, 22 inches wide, and, and 12 inches tall. Mm-hmm. It weighs 200 pounds. It goes four miles an hour. Uh, it, like I said, I don't know if I said it, pushes my suburban at three miles an hour. It's, it's got a lot of torque. Uh, each motor is two and a half horsepower. It's 24 volt lithium battery. Mm-hmm. And can you give me some examples of how it could be fitted with different um, components in the field? Yes. Let's say it's a, uh, a SWAT team buys our robot power base. There are many different applications and mission-specific needs that they would have throughout a day. So let's just say an example is uh, they go to a house that uh, there's uh, some suspicious things going on inside. They could put a camera, a telescoping camera we have here called Ribbon Lift uh, that we can put on this robot within, I don't know, 10 seconds. Uh, the SWAT can then uh, maneuver that to the uh, building from a safe distance. And, and let's say uh, halfway to the house they heard shots fired uh, they can realize, oh, I guess there's somebody in there, no need for the camera. So they can pull the robot back within seconds, take their camera off, p- 
put a, uh, let's say, a 300-pound bulletproof shield on the, on the robot, and the, uh, so, uh, the uh, SWAT person could, uh, uh, with a thumb throttle, operate this while crouching behind the shield and approach the house uh, from uh, a safe position. Uh, let's say once he gets to the house, uh, he wants to come back and put on there some uh, tear gas, a tear gas canister. So we can uh, put a tear gas canister on it and uh, hurl that through the window. And uh, so it can be adaptable to any particular use very quickly. Very good. And can you tell me about where your company is in stage of production? Uh, we're debuting this today. Uh, we were hoping that it would be a little bit further along that we could actually operate it. Uh, some of the electronics are not uh, completed yet. Uh, the mechanics of it all is completely done. Uh, the modularity is at all is completely done. The space claims where all the technology is going to go in is already done. Uh, and I would guess in another two months we'll be actually testing at our facilities, uh, breaking down doors, going through hallways, up and down stairs, and uh, testing our ability to... Uh, see how far wirelessly this thing can go into a building. Mm -hmm. And who would be interested in this product? Uh, It's the same thing as maybe who would be interested in a multi-tool from uh, um, Home Depot. Uh, Police could use a multi-tool. The the, uh, homeowner could use a multi-tool. So who would use a a power base? Uh, SWAT could use power base. Uh, Oil fills could use a power base. Um, uh, hazardous, hazardous waste. Uh, uh, so lots of applications. A lot of applications, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, can you introduce yourself and tell me about your company? Hi, my name's Anne-Marie Ladansky, and I work for Xsense. We do inertial motion capture. And can you tell me about what you have set up at this booth and describe it? Today we're showing our MVN Biomega Windows system. It's a full-body motion capture system built of 17 inertial sensors. So in each of these sensors, there's 3D accelerometers, gyroscopes, and magnetometers. And they're used to measure the movement of each limb of the human body and send wireless info from the body to the computer where all of the info is translated into our biomechanical model. So we can measure exactly what someone in the suit is doing and portray that uh, into our software. Mm-hmm. And so at the booth you have a dancer. We do, yes. We hired Ashley. She is a cheerleader for the Boston Celtics, uh, and she's with us for the three days of this conference to showcase uh, exactly the breadth of use for our system. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned you're using accelerometers, gyros, mm-hmm. and what was the last sensor? Magnetometers. Magnetometers. And so it doesn't require any external vision system to track them. You're just taking the raw data from all of these sensors and then running that through and determine, fitting it to a model to develop a person? That's right. So the accelerometers are measuring how fast each limb segment is moving. The gyroscopes are measuring, measuring the rate of turn of the limb. And then we use the magnetometers to correct for the drift in both, both of the previous sensors. So with the sensor fusion of the three sen- sets of sensor data, we are sending wireless data to the computer, and that's being combined with our calibration procedure to build a human model. The calibration basically takes an average of the sensors while the model actually stands in a five-second end pose, so just standing straight up. And it's a known position where we take the sensor data and then tell each of the trackers where they are so that the model is built correctly. Mm -hmm. And I see as the dancer moves, uh, it's happening in real time. Yep, all of it is done in real time. So all of the sensors are sending data at 30 frames per second 
from the sensors themselves to the computer, and everything is shown with a latency of at most 10 milliseconds, which is mostly due to the Microsoft operating system that we're working with. So uh, what are some applications? The applications are really wide for this type of um, of technology. So it goes from entertainment purposes, where people are using it for movie and game design, to movement science, where they're used for sports science, rehabilitation, or ergonomics, and then to what fits with this conference, human-robot interactions. So either having someone in a system and driving a robot, or building up a database of human movements that could be used to help program a robot or some kind of technology to allow it to move like a human would. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, can you introduce yourself and the company? Hello, I'm Carl Voss, and this is Soft Robotics Incorporated. We're a Boston-based company that, that got spun out of the Whitesides Research Group at Harvard about a year ago, and we're really taking the soft robotics technology and making it real and producing commercial products that solve known products, uh, known problems across a variety of markets. Can you tell me about what you have displayed at the booth? So at the booth today, we have our uh, two soft hands. We have a very large hand for handling pumpkins and chip bags and objects of uh, varying weights and geometry. And then we have our small hand attached to a robotic arm. And really what we wanted to show here is there's a lot of problems with robotic manipulation today. Is Robotic manipulators don't do well with soft curvy, easily damaged objects, and they don't do well in unstructured gripping uh, scenarios. And so what we have solved using soft actuators is the ability to pick up everything on this arm from a, a, a prickly cactus, which you would never pick up with your bare hand, to a racquetball, to cupcake baking cups, a, you know, a box of gauze that you would get off the shelf at a supermarket, to really show that with almost no control system, building a very clever soft actuator can solve this problem that has been vexing robotics today, is how do I have a gripper that is as adaptable and as conformal as a human hand? People have spent millions and millions of dollars to solve this problem using traditional hard robotics, stepper motors, and linkages and sensors. Today with soft robotics, we charge we, we have solved that problem for extremely different economics uh, economic case. Mm-hmm. And can you describe what we have, the hand on the ro- smaller robotic arm? Yeah, so the hand on the arm, we have two hands today. One is a four-fingered hand. They both run off of a single pneumatic line. It's four fingers. It's based on a proprietary actuator geometry. We use vacuum to actually curl the fingers out of the way, and then they pressurize to create a grasp. And then we have a three-finger gripper as well that actually has fingernails, so it could actually get under low-profile objects like a circuit board to pick a circuit board up off of a table or, um, or an ink pen or a highlighter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell me some potential applications of these soft hands? I know it's a lot. It's a lot, but really the thing is, how do you interface a robot with something that maybe the shape is unknown, maybe the position is unknown, or maybe it's easily damaged? And so really the, the things that are very interesting is we would like to automate um, agricultural processing. So heads of lettuce get picked in the field, they come in. There's a lot of people in that plant and this is where E. coli is introduced into the food chain, that are, are washing and cleaning lettuce. Robotic companies want to automate that task. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration wants that task to be automated. Robots today can't handle lettuce because lettuce heads vary in size, shape, and weight, and they're delicate objects. So one of the things that we really would like to do is 
our soft robotic technology can unlock that market for automation and allow the automation of handling that. We can work in wet. You know, there's no electrical connections here, so you can work underwater. You can sterilize these. You can wash them down with bleach at the end of the day. It really does bring that automation into agricultural processing. It makes it a reality. At the same time, the ability to have a lightweight arm working side-by-side side with a human collaborator. So is this in the lab where you, have, you want your scientists to be doing science, not moving things around or fetching things. So now if you have a manipulator that can safely pick up a disparate range of lab instruments or, or tools and hand them safely to a human, that unlocks that potential of collaboration. So those are really what we're talking about here at RoboBusiness today. Mm-hmm. And so the ones that you have on display are open feedback loops, as in they don't sense what they're picking up, Absolutely. they just actuate. But you've talked a little bit about embedding sensors into the fingers and the hands. Absolutely. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, thank you. So what we can do is we can easily embed sensors. So object detects, grasp, grasp detection is one of the things that roboticists all learn how to do and work on forever. Um, we can easily embed in our proprietary manufacturing process simple um, off-the-shelf force sensors, feed that back into something very, very simple. If you wanted to get very simple in Arduino, and, and, and give a positive grass detection. That's very, very simple. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Hi, can you introduce yourself and tell me about your company? Yeah, my name is uh, Conrad Fagertun. I'm a co-founder of Enlink Robotics, uh, coming all the way from Norway to Boston to show the, show the world and show Boston the world's first mobile drilling robot. So we're excited to be here at the Robo Business and show off what we've been working on for the last two years. Can you describe the robot a bit to me? Yeah. The challenge in the construction industry is a lot of hard labor, uh, manual work. And the hardest of them all is drilling holes in concrete ceilings. So we made a mobile drilling robot consisting of a mobile lift that can drive around. And on top of that, you have a robotic arm holding a hammer drill, rotary hammer. So it thrusts that up to the ceiling and can drill holes wherever you want. It's easy to position. It uses lasers and cameras to position itself so it can drill on millimeters uh, uh, precision. And this is uh, done hundreds of thousands of times uh, for a large shopping mall or um, office building. So it's repeatable work. The robot is uh, a little bit bigger than uh, a guy, and it can reach several feet up high. So you don't have to get up on scaffolding and stairs to do the work. The operator can stand uh, on the ground safe from distance. But if he wants to get close, that's no problem. The robot is certified to work with humans. So it doesn't matter if it crashes into your arm. It won't hurt you, and it will stop. So this is uh, interesting for both electrical contractors, plumbers, mechanical engineering, uh, putting up uh, ventilation, etc. in the ceilings. Thank you. Thanks. Can you introduce yourself and your company? Yes, my name is uh, Asim Ikram and I'm CEO of uh, Neo Robotics in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Now what do you guys do? Uh, it's, a, it's a new startup in, in Dubai where we are introducing technology. Uh, not limited to robotics. It's uh, it's it's a it's a setup where the information communication technologies, together with robotics, 
should work. Like robotics for that region at the moment is a little high end. Uh, so we are What do you mean by high end? High end means they are not exposed to robots at the moment. Okay. So the market doesn't exist at the moment for robotics. So we are starting at a at a at a lower level to introduce to introduce the um, uh, smart apps and the ICT uh, technologies. ICT? Information communication technologies. Okay. And then to switch from uh, that level to the robots uh, because the customers are the same. Gotcha. So basically you're acting as a liaison between companies in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. for bringing robots into Dubai. Into the GCC region, Gulf uh, co- cooperating uh, countries. Mm-hmm. It's six of them uh, and that is, that is really the powerhouse at the moment in the, in the Middle East. It's uh, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Oman, uh, Emirates, uh, uh, Qatar. Uh, so these are the six uh, GCC states. Mm-hmm. And they have a strong focus on technology. and on, uh, So they're teaching their universities. Almost all the universities, they're teaching robotics. They're teaching mechatronics. Mm-hmm. And they have labs already. Uh, students are coming out from the universities with a uh, good understanding of robotics. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of movement, but uh, and of course the industry will will develop. But at the moment, uh, there is no pull uh, from the from the from the society to have robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they are on the lookout. They they when when you introduce them these kind of technologies, they are very willing to to test them and, and work with them. Mm-hmm. What are some of the more popular technologies that are being brought to Dubai? Already now, um, there's not so much into the industrial robotics. Uh, you don't find industrial robots uh, working on the production lines uh, at the moment. But uh, I'm exposed to some new projects, some new production lines which are coming up. And they have uh, those industrial robots on the blueprint of those lines. And blue, uh, new lines means that those lines should start operations in six months. So it's, it's everything, the financing, the planning it's already done and they are thinking of robots now so uh, on the industrial side uh, like i said that it's um, it's 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 coming up but the healthcare and education that's uh, that's much ahead uh, so da vinci robot is already there um, the and that's edu- a surgical robot yeah uh, that's assistant a, yes robot. yes and uh, on, on the education side, uh, there is a, there's a big competition of uh, private, private schooling down there. So l- almost every brand is there uh, teaching, uh, teaching things, teaching STEM programs with something, uh, some tools on the web or so. And now they are also uh, trying to get robots to, in the classrooms and, and teaching uh, STEM programs with, with robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of movement um, there. So what robotics opportunities do you think there are in Dubai for robotics, engineers, and entrepreneurs in the rest of the world? They are, they are much ahead. Like that region is much ahead on the, I don't know why, but on the drone technology. So they are really, really working a lot in um, making the real applications, the drone applications. So already the highway police is using drones. They have also started uh, making some deliveries of the, uh, the national identity card uh, uh, with a drone. Uh, so, so they are they are like uh, moving ahead, moving very fast with the real applications of of, of technology. 
Um, on the security side, I have seen a lot of um, these um, civil defense robots, uh, these robots for bomb disposal and things. They're already there and they're using it a lot. Um, so yeah, there is there is movement. And how did you decide to take this opportunity and form a company? Uh, I've been working for some time on these uh, on that market, and uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, pull in different areas. Uh, so already, like like I said, that their healthcare and education is moving very fast. Uh, industrial side will come up uh, in the next one or two years because uh, they are moving into industry. So I can see the already now I can see the pool, and there's a there's a big gap because there are not many robot. Hardly you can say that there are companies you can you can count who are offering some kind of service for for in the in the robotics field. So there are not many robotic companies down there, local robotic companies down there. So I I, I found that gap, I found that vacuum, and I said okay, it's a it's a good time to start something. Can you introduce yourself and your company? Yes, hello. I'm Harri Valpola. I'm one of the founders of Zen Robotics, a company based in uh, Finland, Helsinki. And uh, currently our main application is waste sourcing robotics. So the robots have learned to pick up waste, waste and uh, recognize the pieces. And now they are sourcing construction and demolition waste into different fractions. So, a little bit like Wally. Yes, real world, real world Wally. It looks a little different than Wally. Can you describe uh, the robotic system you have? Uh, whereas Wally is a cute, small Hollywood uh, uh, robot, our robot is um, more like an industrial, uh, large-scale robot. It doesn't look like a humanoid. It's not cute. But it's working very efficiently. It's powerful. It can uh, lift and throw objects of 20 kilo easily. So uh, 40 pounds, 40 pound objects, like they were nothing. Mm-hmm. So it it looks like a conveyor belt, and it has robotic arms that move around and pick objects off of the conveyor belt and throw them to sort them. Am I yes. correct? Yes. It's uh, working in very similar way as human hand sorters are working all around the world beside convey- conveyor belts. So waste is first pre-treated and then the robots are recognizing the objects and then sorting them into different fractions. Exactly the same work as humans are doing. But these are faster and stronger and they don't break their arms as humans. And what kind of sensors are you using to identify the material that goes through? And actually, what material, uh, what waste are you sorting now? We are currently focused on construction and demolition waste. And the sensors we are using are tailored for that, that particular waste. The most important fractions, at least in, in these cases, we are sorting are uh, wood and then mineral-based uh, fraction. And then the third fraction is metal. So we are using uh, sensors that can discriminate between these, and they include uh, metal detectors, and then spectrometers, uh, invisible and near infrared, and then 3D laser scanners. 
So everything, all the sensors we are using currently are scanning uh, sensors because the, the waste is flowing on the belt under the sensors. But we have, uh, we have been previously using also cameras which are useful for many other robotics applications. So Kinect-type sensors would be okay for our application too. And so where have you implemented this system and what is some feedback you're getting from the customers? Currently we have, we have three pilot customers in Europe, uh, two in Finland and one in, in Holland. And we have been developing their, these systems for about two years and now they are working and customers are happy. And now we are ready to scale up. So once now we have a product and we are scaling up sales so that other customers could also be getting these, these solutions. And what is the benefit of sorting the waste? Um, well, at least in Europe, there are many countries which are um, flooding in waste. So the, there's waste coming and no place to put it anymore because population density is so high that uh, there's basically no, no place to landfill it. So the only option really is to sort waste. And of course there are many many valuable raw materials there too. Uh, sorting stone is, is not important because of the raw material but sorting metals for instance is crucial. There are valu- valuable uh, metals like copper and aluminum and and wood also is used in, in Holland particularly as a raw material because they don't have forests. So all wood can, will be recycled and used as uh, construction material. Thank you. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself and tell me about your company? Definitely. So my name is Dick Zhang. Uh, I lead our efforts at Identified Technologies, where we build scalable drones for commercial data capture. Uh, and so we work with these clients in construction and energy and help deliver data and insight uh, on what's, you know, the ground truth of what's going on on their job sites. Um, and so right now they're, they're getting this information either by deploying boots on the ground or, you know, utilizing commercial planes and helicopters. And so it's very expensive, it's very dangerous, it's very slow. Um, and so... Uh, you know, we deliver this insight by collecting, you know, massive, you know, scaled amounts of data on what's happened in the past, what's going on now, and what's going to happen in the future um, through some predictive capabilities. Uh, and we collect that data through a three-part uh, drone system. So it's a drone that's able to fly itself. There's a dock station that also sits on the uh, job site that swaps out batteries and uploads data. And then there's a, uh, um, a client dashboard that our users uh, can interact and control the system from the cloud. Uh, anywhere in the world in real time. Uh, and so we've been working with uh, some really exciting partners in energy and construction for the last uh, half year, year. Um, you know, I came to RoboBusiness to get some exposure, uh, develop these partner relationships and these client relationships. And it's, uh, it's been a really good time. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell me a bit about the demonstration you have or your booth? Yes, definitely. Um, so I see, the, I see the drone, the quadricopter. Uh, can you tell me a bit about it? Definitely. So um, the drone itself, actually, there's only one. Um, we only made one part of the whole drone. It's a shell that you see on the outside. Um, everything inside in terms of hardware is really off-the-shelf components. Um, our dock station that swaps out batteries and uploads data, um, 
that's all um, you know proprietary mechanical design and hardware and then the software that runs both systems um, is also all proprietary so there's a lot that goes into flight control into you know safety checks into robustness checks maintenance things like that so swapping out the batteries is that automated yes so that is automated um uh, you basically, you land on the dock station, and then there's something that goes in and gets a battery. Uh, there's a carousel with six batteries that are, you know, always charging, and then it, sh- you know, inserts another battery when it needs to fly. Um, and so, actually, to tell you a story, um, what inspired all of this was we were talking with one of our clients who owns. They run five thousand job sites around the world, and. Um, they, you know, they bought three drones off the internet and spent a day and trained all their guys. And then uh, they go, you know, this is great. Now I want it on 1,500 of my, you know, North America sites. But they had no idea how they were going to train 1,500 people on 1,500 different sites to use this tool. Uh, and so by automating the system and make it self-operating and self-sufficient, uh, you know, we're able to deploy 1,500 really rapidly um, across the country and across the world and help our clients. Now, is it totally self-sustaining? Yes. So uh, right now, you know, all you need is a, a power plug, um, a standard power plug. You know, future iterations will involve generators, solar panels, wind farms, things like that. Uh, but except for the source of power, uh, you know, communicates to the Internet either by a, a, a mobile data chip or through satellite Internet. Um, and then everything else happens on its own, flies itself, captures data itself, swaps batteries by itself. What kind of navigation do you use on the drones? Yeah, so... Um, you know, this this navigation and drone technology has gotten really uh, um, sophisticated over the last couple of years. And we use a combination of GPS, some, uh, you know, inertial sensors on board, um, so that three, 400 times every second, the drone is saying to itself, look, I need to be in position XYZ. Right now, I'm not there, but I'm close. Let me get there. And so it's, you know, 400 times every second, it's making those uh, correctments, uh, sorry, corrections and adjustments um, so that it can fly along a path that the computer, uh, you know, programs it. Okay, so other than the IMU and GPS, what are the sensors? Do you have a vision system for landing on the platform that swaps out the batteries and some other sensors? Yeah, so we have, um, in terms of sensors, right now we're working with uh, the cameras. Uh, We've done some early testing with our partners in uh, infrared and gas sniffing because we do a lot of work in energy. Um, You know, as part of this uh, uh, startup growth, we're going through a a crafted process of crawl, walk, and run. Uh, And so it's the vision... Uh, that gets us, you know, the most capabilities to help our clients right now uh, with the resources that we have. Um, obviously, we have, um, uh, you know, a plan to expand that over the, you know, the next couple of years. Now, to touch on how we land, that's a <laughs> turns out that's a, a huge. Oh, yeah. It's a huge problem because any GPS you buy off the market right now, yeah, yeah, you've heard anything from thirty feet, maybe five feet if you're lucky. Um, exactly, um, and so we actually built a, a proprietary. Um, uh, positioning system based off of ultrasound. So there's a beacon in the dock, and uh, you've got receivers that will listen and triangulate. Okay, so you use GPS to get it close enough, exactly. and then the ultrasound takes over by localizing the sound somehow? Yeah, exactly. It's like, or imagine... Uh, hot and cold kind of thing? Not really hot and cold. It's more, it, you know, it's, it's how your two ears work. Imagine having four ears, and you could tell by which ear heard what sound oh, at what time. Equal, exactly. exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you.
And that's it for today. If you've not had enough yet, you can visit our website at robotspodcast.com for access to all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Business with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.